You're listening to the Eat With Grace podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Dr. Jackie Neinheis, registered dietitian and professor of culinary medicine. And I am your co-host, Brooke Fredrickson, registered dietitian and certified diabetes care and education specialist. And we are here to challenge a culture around food and nutrition from a biblical perspective. It's great to be here. And we have a topic that has been touted on Twitter and other social media platforms as the study to end all studies about non-nutritive sweeteners. You know, I wish that could be said as true, but we're going to look and delve deep into the subject and possibly find out that it is so hard to have definitive answers in research. So the study um, was published in Cell, which is an open access uh, peer-reviewed publication online. And it says personalized microbiome driven effects of non-nutritive sweeteners on human glucose tolerance. So we're going to break this down today and just really look at us. Give us an introduction to this, Brooke. So like you said, I saw this all over Twitter um, probably last week and people were really talking about it saying, see, this is the reason why we shouldn't have artificial sweeteners, or this is the reason why diabetes is increasing, even though we have these artificial sweeteners. And so it kind of piqued my interest to look into it. Um, and so that's why we're talking about it. And Jackie being the research expert is, is going to give her opinion on it too. So anyway, what it did was it took four different um, non-nutritive sweeteners. Now non-nutritive just means that it, it doesn't have any um, nutrients in it, right? It doesn't, con it doesn't contain any calories, um, or nutrients or anything that would uh, provide for our diet. So the four that they looked at were saccharin, um, which is also known as sweet and lower. It's the pink packets, if you see those. Aspartame, of course, is the blue packets. Splenda is the yellow packets. And then the stevia, which is um, probably the newest on the market. And what it did was it took these and it... Um, it combined them with a little bit of glucose and it, they had people eat them and then they, they checked to see what their glycemic response or you know, what it did to their blood sugar after eating it. And the, of course, you know, there was variable uh, outcomes, but the main outcome that came out of it was that um, Splenda and uh, Sweet and Low or the, the sucralose and the saccharin especially uh, raised people's blood sugar after consuming it, uh, which they shouldn't do because, right, they don't contain any, um, any carbohydrate or sugar. So that was kind of the outcome of the study. And I just wanted to talk about it today to see, like, how much truth is there in this? How much do we know about maybe why this happened? Were there any downfalls of the study? And then how are we going to look at it from a practical standpoint? Because I know I work with a lot of people who have diabetes. Um, there, I know a lot of people who eat non-nutritive sweeteners. We see um, things like food companies reformulating their soda from diet to zero. And now they're, the zero means that they're not only using aspartame, they're using um, sucralose as well. So these things are being added more and more into our food supply. And if this is really a true thing, this might be something to look at. So anyway, that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, Jackie, I would love your input on what you think, um, maybe either the pros or the, the downfalls of the study 
uh, from a professional standpoint? First of all, when you look at a study like this, you really have to wonder what are the researchers' biases? Um, you really want to say, um, did they cover all their bases so that their biases weren't evident? And I really feel like in this study, there is a bias against non-nutritive sweeteners. They don't really do a good job of showing both sides of the picture. And I think that's why then when it's picked up on Twitter and other platforms, oh, this is a study we've been waiting for. This is the one that shows everything. Well, they left out. They left out kind of the other side or minimized it. So let's look at some of the specifics of the study. First of all, the authors suggest that um, their findings are that these different non-nutritive sweeteners have a very individualized or highly personalized glycemic alteration in people, meaning some people they saw they had it and other people did not have it. Okay, well, that happens with every single food. Just think of um, people who uh, have abstained for whatever reason from gluten or from meat or from uh, different kinds of foods like that, like milk or something, if they reintroduce it, their body has to get used to it again. So at first there's some discomfort, like if a vegan hasn't had meat for a while and then they have a steak, it's, there's a discomfort in their stomach. There's a change there. And we have always known, and the authors even admit that, and quote what they say is importantly, the assemblage of microorganism varies between individuals. And they go on to say that, you know, it's different in different people. Mm -hmm. So this is well-documented. And I think what the study shows is we have an individual, highly personalized microbiome, as the authors say, and that different foods, including non-nutritive substances, affect people differently. That is the only thing this study shows. And I think that is something that we have always known and there is very strong evidence for it. It's well-documented. Now, all the other things that they're pulling out of it, I, I don't see a lot of things that they say are significant. And when we're talking about research, we're talking about reportable, scientific, significant events in randomized clinical trials. Okay, so they don't use the word significant when they talk about the microbiome. What they say is that their exact words are that non-nutritive substances distinctly impact the microbiome. Okay. It doesn't say how. <laughs> yeah, and it also okay. doesn't say that it significantly. Okay shows a difference. Okay. So that says to me, it could just have been random. It, you know, we don't really know why or how, etc. So it shows here that um, in the study, the things that were significant were different levels of amino acids and specific metabolites. Now, 
some of these are amino acids. So, um, Brooke, are you familiar with exactly which ones, like, isn't aspartame the lysine? Um, you know, I would have to look at it. I haven't looked at it in a long time, but yes, aspartame does, it is broken down into amino acids and excreted in our body. So that is how so it is fact, metabolized. The fact that that's significant, that's well-known, well-documented, and that would be expected because that's what that is. But that really doesn't have much to do with this uh, glycemic response. And it doesn't give us any new evidence showing that they're bad. Okay. Yeah. And it's, again, media portrays headlines or studies like this in such a strong way that you have to be really um, aware of it, I guess, or, or skeptical or take it with a grain of salt. Because again, like I said, all over social media, this was saying how now we know how horrible these are, and this is what they do. Um, but when you really look at the study itself, it, do, it paints a different picture. And so I appreciate you for, um, for doing that for us, Jackie, and, and giving those limitations. So Okay, so another really interesting point about this study is that it said all of the participants in every single group, no matter what nutritive sweetener that they used, they all had decreased energy intake. Even the ones that didn't uh, use any kind of nutritive uh, substance or sweetener. Okay, so what's interesting about that as a dietitian is their takeaway on that was it was because of a heightened awareness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, think about that. If we're working with patients and we're giving them a heightened awareness of nutrition, this study proves that that intervention is probably more important then what kind of nutritive substance that they're taking, non-nutritive sweetener that they're taking, yeah. and it's probably more important that than if they made absolutely no changes, there was still a decrease in energy intake. And this also points to the fact, we talk a lot on this uh, podcast about pushing back against the culture from a biblical perspective. And one of our perspectives is that diets really don't work and, and diets aren't something we should go on. And this study shows that these people, no matter what group they were in, even if they made no changes at all, an awareness of nutrition decreased energy intake. I thought, wow, that is proving that this is working possibly as well as any diet they could possibly go on. Well, and that's why nutrition research, I think is so hard to do because you can't, you rarely can do it blinded. People who are part of these studies know, you know, they know they're being um, tested on or, or researched you know, on something related to their diet. So whether their diet changes specifically and they know what it is, or if something is being added or taken away, they're going to be, number one, if they're in the study, they're going to be very motivated to do it. So they're going to want to make sure that they do it well. Um, so yeah, it just kind of shows how, the, how complicated it is to do uh, studies on nutrition because people's behaviors do affect the outcomes. Yeah. So people's behaviors do affect outcome. I want to repeat that. I think that's a really good phrase. And then the second thing is, is everything we put into our microbiome changes our microbiome. But what seemed to be important 
from all the research out there is whether these changes are transient, meaning for a short term, or does these probiotics become residents in our microbiome and really help us out and are beneficial? In the study, they document very clearly that any changes in the microbiome, which happened within a week, went back to the way they were when the substances were no longer in the body. So um, when we're talking about good probiotics, we're wanting to have resident probiotics. We're wanting to, what foods can we eat or what changes can we make in our diet? What changes can we make in our activity that makes our gut healthier, our whole bodies healthier for a long-term. And so we're looking for resident, when we eat it, it doesn't just pass through the body, but it's actually resident in our guts. Okay, so if we're looking for negative, bad things, it would be really bad if, if it didn't just pass through the gut, but it stayed in our gut and changed it forever. Mm. So they proved that it does not. It, the gut goes back to the way it was. So not that that means that uh, there's not a negative side to non-nutritive sweeteners, just meaning that we didn't see it here long-term. Right. So, so that's another interesting thing. So they didn't bring out any of these points except mm -hmm. to mention that it happened, but they don't tell the significance of it. So they didn't really tell both sides of the story. Right. So non-nutritive sweeteners have been a, a really hot topic, I would say over the last you know, 30 years, even maybe even 40 years. Um, you know, a lot of claims have been made about them, you know, how they cause cancer, or they cause Alzheimer's, or they do other things. Um, Jackie, do we, can we just like, um, break down some of them, I guess we could talk about them individually and what we know about them. Or we can talk about, you know, the artificial sweeteners in general, and maybe what some of the benefits and what some of the you know, cons of them would be. Sure, sure. I would love to pull in a quote from Dr. Mallory Neinheis, a dentist who happens to be my daughter-in-law. And she's always talking about how harmful gum is or any kinds of uh, soft drinks that are sitting on your teeth and soft drinks because of the acid, but also because of the sugar and gum where there's sugar sitting on the teeth and in the saliva and your teeth are exposed to it for an extended period of time. She is a big proponent for non-nutritive sweeteners in gum. If you're going to be chewing gum, uh, probably in candy that you would suck on also. So that is one instance where experts feel like um, these non-nutritive uh, sweeteners are going to be important. Yeah. I also see um, benefit, especially in people with diabetes, right? I always tell people uh, that I work with who have diabetes, like these uh, artificial sweeteners or non-nutritive sweeteners, these were created for you, right? Like these are the things that allow you to still eat sweeter foods um, that would normally be really high in sugar um, and that allows you to replace it with these other things that don't affect your blood sugar as much. And, um, you know, whether it's soda or gum or candy or any of those things, 
that it does it does help their blood sugar when they when they switch from you know drinking regular soda to drinking a diet soda their blood sugars are not or they go down because they're not affected by these non-nutritive sweeteners so there is a benefit for people with diabetes too especially i think in general the literature shows that um, we know that sugar even if you don't have diabetes we know that excess sugar um, is not necessarily good for our bodies and so um, if people can cut back on their sugar, one way that they do that is they replace their sh normal sugary type um, foods or beverages with um, ones that are sweetened again with these non-nutritive, stevia, um, NutraSweet, any of those, Splenda. Uh, and they do have, not only do they have a decreased energy intake um, because of it, but they don't see those, um, uh, the health outcomes of having that excess sugar in their diet either. So like when we've talked about you know, um, our amount and frequency matter. We've talked about that before. I think that matters too with sugar. Um, and I've, you know, said if, if you're a daily soda drinker, if you have a really high intake of regular soda, um, I think from a health perspective, the lesser of two evils would be to drink the diet soda um, if you're having it frequently because you're not putting all that excess sugar in your body, um, but you're still uh, allowed to have uh, the, the, you know, the diet soda that isn't going to be giving you all that excess sugar. So those are a couple of the positives that I see, Jackie, any other positives about these that you know of? You know, there's just a few other applications that, um, might have some positive implications. Um, sometimes in infants, when they're trying to move them from like preterm infants and they've been either fed like um, IV or, or uh, some other method than breastfeeding and they wanna move to breastfeeding, sometimes they'll use these uh, non-nutritive sweeteners on like a pacifier or on the breast to get the baby to learn how to suck. So, I mean, there are a few little kinds of things like that where, where there is an application also for them. Um, did you mention the keto diet? I haven't, no. Okay, the keto diet is high protein diet, low carbohydrate. And there's so many keto bars and all these different, uh, different supplements. And one way that they get the protein really high and the carbohydrate really low is to use non-nutritive sweeteners. We're not a big proponent of the keto diet, but um, it is a place where you do see um, the use of non-nutritive sweeteners and you might not realize that it's in there. Yes. And there is one instance in children when a ketogenic diet is important for their for the disease process. In that case, using non-nutritive sweeteners might be important to keep those carbohydrates really, really low. Right, because it helps them not have seizures, right? Mm -hmm. But yeah, all of those products in the store, so I know I was even just in Walmart yesterday, um, not yesterday, the day before, and there was a guy in front of me in the checkout and his entire cart, I swear every single thing in his cart was labeled keto. He had keto bread, he had keto bars, he had keto shake, like everything was keto. And so we can assume that every single one of those, because it's a processed item, 
is going to contain nutritive sweeteners because most likely they would be unpalatable, meaning they would taste horrible if they didn't have some kind of sweetness to them. Um, so yeah, any of those processed goods are going to have the non-nutritive sweeteners in them. So when we're looking at different products, it comes down to looking at a higher protein level or a higher carbohydrate level or whatever. And when you have a food, when you take something out like carbohydrates and you put non-nutritive uh, sweeteners in because our society likes sweet foods, that's uh, innate in babies too, that uh, sweet foods are good. So that's why they put it in those foods. But you take something out, something else is gonna go up. And um, often we find people eat about the same amount of calories a day, no matter what form mm -hmm. those calories are in. Um, if you're eating a bag of potato chips that are lower calorie, research has shown that people eat a few more of them. And the same with these kinds of um, different kinds of bars, cookies that are with non-nutritive sweeteners, they have a lower calorie count, but often our bodies make up for it by eating a little bit more. But so let me ask a question then. Um, I... I, I've heard this too, and I know it's true, but is, so is it psychological or is it biological? So psychological would be, we eat those things knowing that they're lower in calories, we eat more of them. We like allow ourselves to eat more of them. Or is it biological where those things, since they're not providing as many calories, our body isn't satisfied by it. So we don't reach our like fullness or, or satiety level until we eat more of them. Okay, this is my answer for that. If you are an intuitive eater and you listen to your body cues of hunger and fullness, and you are really, really good at this. And so I think the answer to that question is, is how good of an intuitive eater you are. Do you eat because of the psychological benefits you get from it? Or is it a biology thing where, oh, my body's hungry. Well, and I, I see this too. Um, I think this is where there's debate about whether we should have like food labels on everything, whether we should have the nutrition facts label that tells you how many calories are in a certain serving. Because if people didn't have that information, um, I do think their behavior would change some, right? I, some people look at that stuff and they're like, oh, I can have more because this is a low calorie item. Or there are other people who might see it that it's a high calorie or you know, energy dense item and they might specifically try to eat less of it. Um, this, was, this was kind of the argument in the fast food restaurants. And I think what they're seeing, um, there are some people who don't even pay attention to that. They don't look at that stuff at all. Um, there are people who really do and it does change their behavior. So I think that's another thing too, where it, it kind of pulls you away from your ability to eat intuitively when you have too much information in front of you like that. That's really interesting. It's interesting because we as dietitians typically are thought to be on the side of giving people more information, giving them more education, giving them all the tools that they need to figure all of this out. But then, and, and that's actually what our culture is saying about nutrition. And, and they're trying to, they put big labels on things that said grass-fed beef and organic vegetables and all these other terms, thinking that non-nutritive substances sweeteners and other substances are negative 
whereas the more natural things aren't. But, you know, when it comes down to it, um, pushing back on the culture means maybe this, all this information is not really helping us. It's, it's actually designed to confuse us. Mm. I mean, I would agree with that. I think um, the more we learn about nutrition, yes, the more confusing, the more nuances there are in it. Uh, so yeah, I would agree. And I think especially for someone, you know, who doesn't have an education in it, like we at least have the background and we can understand the processes of how it works in the body and why. And, um, but if you don't have that, I, I mean, there's so many mix, mixed messages out there that it is very confusing for the public. Um, how I teach my patients about uh, non-nutritive sweeteners is I tell them, okay, if you have a really good valid reason for using them, then by all means, use them. Like if you need it to control your diabetes, if it helps you um, protect your teeth, then use the gum, that kind of gum. If it helps you in other ways, then please continue to use it. But if there's really not a strong reason, I feel personally, I'll leave it out. Yeah. Um, it's not non-nutritious sweeteners is not something that I, I use. I do teach, uh, med students and dietetic students a little bit about it, but I don't even spend a lot of time teaching them how to use it in baked products because I don't really feel that it's as beneficial as what some people, um, lead us to believe. I agree with that. Um, I know a lot, I have a lot of patients with diabetes who will ask about that. Like they'll bake all their cookies and stuff using, um, you know, aspartame or, or NutraSweet or Splenda. And I, first of all, I don't think you get as good of a product because sugar does have a purpose in baking. Um, and also because there's so much flour and other carbohydrate containing things in there, it doesn't reduce the carbohydrate that much. So in the grand scheme of things, I'd say it's better to just eat the cookie or the cake or whatever, just make it with the real sugar and, you know, have a smaller piece if you're worried about your blood sugars going up than having, you know, a subpar product and, and eating more of it and really not seeing much of a benefit. So I guess that's, I, I agree. I don't necessarily push my patients towards using artificial sweeteners. I think, you know, the less we can use, probably the better. They don't do anything good for our body. They're not something that we should like seek out to eat. And I think if we're eating mostly whole foods, we're not going to get a lot of it in our diet, but it, I, I'd say you know, specifically, like you mentioned, the gum, the, you know, and the soda, I think are two big pieces where we've shown a lot of benefit um, for certain people to, mm -hmm. yeah. to do that instead I, of the sugar option. Yeah. I had a patient who um, drank a huge amount of soft drinks and they um, drink the sugar sweetened soft drinks. And I suggested, you know, cutting it in half or, you know, It'd be nice to cut it out altogether. And they also have asthma, which creates a lot of phlegm, especially during maybe the allergy seasons or whenever they're uh, in contact with something that's made their asthma flare up. And so they felt like that it cut through all of this and made them feel just a little bit better. So they were able to actually take a walk. They were actually able to enjoy life and to be more active. And in that case, I was hard put to say, um, don't use, 
either, you know, a non-nutritive sweetener or something, because it would be beneficial instead of having like 2000 calories worth of sugar a day. Right. Right. So I think one of the big um, fears out there is that these artificial sweeteners are not safe for us. What, What would you say to that? You know, I think there's so many things in our food supply and in our environment that have been found to not be natural to our body. And so we assume that's causing all of our comorbidities, all of our uh, preventive uh, diseases. You know, we may continue to find more and more information about that, but we also find that some things we used to think are harmful probably don't affect everyone. Take sodium, for example. So some people are, that are, have hypertension are salt sensitive and other people are not. So it's not like we can say salt is harmful for every single person. We don't wanna use it in large amounts, but in small amounts, it makes, it makes whole foods taste really good Mm-hmm. And it helps people enjoy fruits and vegetables that they might not have ever enjoyed before. So when we look at it as being harmful, we have to say at what levels, which there is the generally regarded as safe list. Another thing to think about with, with these uh, kinds of substances are how about the rest of our diet? If we could increase our water and increase our fiber intake, that is gonna move food through the digestive tract faster. Any harmful substances that could possibly be in our food is in contact with the the intestinal wall or the gut wall less, less is gonna be absorbed, more is passed out through your body. And so all of our food is safer when we eat a really healthy, whole food, high fiber diet. Yeah. And I agree. We need to look at, again, we need to look at big picture. We need to look at everything that we're eating and not focus in on these little individual nutrients or individual food substances. Um, And that's, again, one of those tiny little steps or lifestyle changes that you can make. If you feel like you're eating a lot of nutritive, you know, if you're adding um, a Splenda to your cereal every morning, and if every time you, um, you know, you have coffee, you're putting it in there. And if every time, you know, if you notice that you're just you know, on a daily basis, eating lots of these things, you could make a, um, it's possible to make a small change in your diet and be intentional about, okay, is there anything like, maybe instead of drinking three cans of Diet Coke a day, I'm going to cut back to one and I'm going to replace it with water or um, like a a sparkling water, flavored water or something like that. Like that would be one way that you could cut back on it and it, it would be beneficial to you. So What a great idea. What a great idea. So I have a question for you. Another uh, criticism of non-nutritive sweeteners, which the study did not address at all, is that it increases a preference for sweetness. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I've, I've often wondered about this, and I have even tried to experiment with myself to see if I thought that was true. I've read research on it. There's real no definitive answer. But, but what do you think? Uh, and again, maybe this is one of those things that depends on the person, you know, mm. maybe for some people, yes, it does, or it doesn't. I know, like, I, I, you know, when we talk about sodium, so if, if someone, 
was eating a high sodium diet, say they had a heart attack or something and their doctor told them they need to cut back on sodium. So they cut back on their salt intake, right? After a couple of months of doing that, if they try to add salt to their food or if they eat something really salty, it's like really overbearing because they've gotten used to that lower sodium thing. I think the same thing could apply with this. If you're used to sweet things all the time and all of a sudden you're not introducing them into diet, you get used to not having those sweet things. I think that makes sense 100%, but. I think that's a really interesting point because if we look at recipes from cookbooks that are like 50, 60, 70 years ago, the desserts are much less sweet than our desserts today. And if you compare the exact same kind of, like same kind of item, and you taste the two, it's like, wow, this, I can, I can go to a potluck. I can tell you what are old fashioned desserts. They are less sweet than the recipes that are today. And that includes entrees too. We have started um, finding more and more sugar in lots of different entrees. And I would say as Americans, we have increased the amount of sugar we put even in like spaghetti sauce in, um, things that normally didn't really have sugar in them before. Right. So that's an interesting point. So our taste preferences probably have increased because. Yeah, it's what we get used to. And so again, sugar is one of those um, highly palatable things. It tastes good. Um, and so we seek that out. And so if these food manufacturing companies want to sell their product, they're going to try to find ways to make it taste better and adding more sugar is one of those things that they're going to do. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and supplements too. Isn't it interesting how many supplements they add sugar to? Are you talking like pill supplements or like drinkable supplements? Well, usually supplements? it's drinkable. It's usually mm. drinkable because pills are so small, you don't taste anything. Okay. But yeah. it's usually uh, something that is in a little bit higher quantity where you're actually going to taste what the supplement is yep. and, and they add sugar to those to make it more palatable. Yes. Yeah. So like, even if we were going to talk about Ensure, right. So if someone's going to drink Ensure Boost or something like that, those are full of sugar. Um, the other alternative is like, I know premier proteins have been huge in the, the low carb keto world where you can get 30 grams of protein in one drink with one gram of carbohydrate. Again, those use artificial sweeteners. Um, because they remove that sugar, but they still taste very sweet. So, okay. Anything else about artificial sweeteners we want to leave our listeners with? The, you know, I think the big takeaway from this is that the study was trying to tell us that non-nutritive sweeteners are, are bad for us and they change the glycemic uh, index of of whatever food they're taken with. But what I take away as a positive from this study is that as we have more awareness of nutrition, more awareness of what we're eating, we have a lower energy intake. Okay. What a great outcome that they did not even capitalize on. And so whether the person has no sweetener in it or has a uh, regular glucose kind of sweetener or some kind of non-nutritive sweetener, you know, all those didn't really change the fact that everyone decreased the energy intake. And I, I take that away as a real positive. All right. 
Well, if anyone has any questions about today's podcast or topic on artificial sweeteners, please reach out to us through our Instagram page. Uh, and if not, we'll see you next week. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to the Eat With Grace podcast. If you haven't already, please consider subscribing so you don't miss an episode. We would love to have you leave a review or comment on our Instagram page. It's been great to share this time with you. And we pray that you have a grace-filled day.